This week's episode of Discovering Trek is brought to you exclusively by Fansets. Later on in this episode, we'll have a special discount offer code just for Discovering Trek listeners. Discover a whole new universe of pin collectibles with Fansets. Online at Fansets.com. A protective mother, a temporal dilemma, and an unbelievable destination. With Episode 7 of Star Trek Discovery, we finally get to see the younger version of our favorite green-blooded science officer for the very first time, although he was not really ready to have a lengthy conversation with his sister or anyone else for that matter. Plus, Pike, Tyler, and the entire crew of the Discovery have to deal with some pretty complicated time distortions. And to top it all off, we're headed to a place that I never possibly imagined we would see again. Welcome aboard, everyone. My name is Dan My name is Dan Discovering Trek. Welcome, one and all, to Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Discovery Companion, presented by Fansets. From high above Kaminar to the sacred temples of Vulcan, this week's Star Trek Discovery gave us another interesting episode to digest, and it seems to be setting up some really amazing story arcs for the remainder of the season. We finally welcome back an old friend to the Trek universe, sort of. Uh, we experience a whole new level of time technobabble because, well, putting the word time in front of everything makes it cooler. And we see what any mother would be willing to do for the sake of her own child. This one had it all, folks. As always, this is the premier podcast for the most in-depth discussion and analysis about the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery, entitled Light and Shadows. For the second time in the history of Star Trek Discovery, I literally jumped out of my chair at the end of this episode and shouted an expletive because I was so shocked at what I saw on Burnham's screen. And believe me, it was awesome, it was unexpected, and I loved it. We'll focus on that shortly, but before we do... It's time to introduce the guy who helps me every week here on Discovering Trek. You know, if I were stuck in a temporal gravity well and forced to spend all eternity with just one person, I can't think of anyone better to do it with than my wife. But since she isn't here today with us on the podcast, uh, I'll, I'll introduce my very special friend, my brother in Trek, and my amazing number one. He is Bill Smith. Bill, welcome back. Looking forward to welcoming you again. And haven't you been here before? Your face is a temporal gravity well. <laughs> did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. Was you, I on mute? You did. But we're not on Trek Geeks. What are you doing? <laughs> uh, sorry. It's, I'm falling into to old habits. Hey, buddy. It's uh, it's good to be here at, and then and, and future. It's, it's good to be everywhere all at once. Thank you for, for that wonderful introduction, I, I think. Well, hey, I do my best. I, you know, like I said, Sue's not here. Do you? <laughs> I, I do. I try. You bring out the best in me, Bill, uh, every single time. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's good to have you here. Oh my God, this episode! Uh, I just, I just cannot wait to get started talking about it. Um, we always have great discussions, and we always have great guests to talk about these awesome episodes of Discovery. And today is no exception, is it, buddy? Uh, that's absolutely true, Dan. You know, we last saw. Our guest this week uh, in Albany, New York, at Northeast TrekCon, where he kind of got introduced to Rick Sternbach in, in in a rather humorous way. Perhaps more about that later. But he's the co-host of Delta Flyer, a Star Trek Voyager podcast, and you may also have heard his dulcet tones appearing as a guest on some of the shows over at the Tricorder Transmissions. He is the lovely and talented Thad Hayton. He joins us now for his first appearance on Discovering Trek. Thad, welcome aboard, buddy. It's good to see you again. It's great to be here. 
We had a I, great time at Northeast TrekCon, didn't we, bud? Uh, it oh, was yeah. fun. Uh, that story uh, that Bill mentioned, yeah, we will talk about that, I'm sure, uh, a little later. But one of the great things about having people on Discovering Trek is is we get to reminisce about the times that we spent at conventions. And one of the special things about when we got to spend time with you this past October is it's not just once a year like we always seem to be doing at STLV with all our other guests. So it's great to have you here. I'm sure we're going to have a great discussion. Oh, I'm sure. I'm really excited to talk about Discovery. Well, before we start talking about Discovery, Bill, uh, and before the computer correlates our data to tell us about our next heading, perhaps you should tell our listeners how they can get in touch with us to give us their thoughts about Light and Shadows. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Roger that, Dan. And something tells me I may do this again in a little while or maybe even a couple of hours ago. Not really sure. Uh, on Twitter, we can be found at Discovering Trek. And on Ye Old Book of Faces, you can catch up to us at Facebook.com slash Discovering Trek. In either place, you can become part of the discussion or even leave us comments and questions. Plus, you can also send us a voicemail by going to TrekGeeks.com and clicking on the giant blue button on the right-hand side. Please do remember, though, that any comments or messages you may leave us could be used in a future episode of Discovering Trek. Dan. Thanks, Bill. Black Alert. Black alert. From here on in, folks, this episode of Discovering Trek contains spoilers and big ones. So if you haven't watched episode seven of season two, Star Trek Discovery, stop listening right now. Go on over to CBS All Access or wherever you watch Discovery. Watch the latest episode and then head back on over to Discovering Trek. Failure to do that puts you at risk to find out plot developments and character details for light and shadows. Trainees? To the briefing room. Well, Bill and Thad, as we gather in the briefing room to start our discussion on this week's episode, let's first get your high-level thoughts. Was it thumbs up? Was it thumbs down? And maybe a couple of reasons why. And Thad, as our special guest this week, we're going to start with you, bud. Uh, It's definitely a thumbs up for me, Uh, uh, especially after last week, which I enjoyed, but I had some issues with. Uh, This week, I thought was really good, uh, firing on all cylinders for pretty much the whole time. We have... Excellent callback to traditional Star Trek things where we have a temporal rift. And how many times in uh, Star Trek in the 90s did we have temporal rifts? It was like every other week. So (laughs) it's great to have that again. Uh, I enjoyed everyone's performance. It was obviously great to see Ethan Peck as Spock, finally. Finally. (laughs) Absolutely. Bill, what about you, man? I well, think I have an idea. <laughs> yeah, you might. I mean, I, I seem to be a broken record, but uh, this is a thumbs up. I mean, this is just, if I could speak, I have Dan Davidson disease right now. Mm-hmm. This season has been consistently good from week to week. And I think it's about damn time the Spock tease is over. And I only wish we'd come up with that. Uh, uh, kudos <laughs> to the writers. I'm going to give a Starfleet accommodation early. Thank you so much for that term because I, we didn't think of it. And you would think that we would have. Um, I'm glad we finally get to see some of Ethan Peck in this role, and I'm going to have a little more about that later, uh, perhaps not to, to tease too much of a spoiler alert, but uh, I, you don't realize until you get to the end of this episode that it's only 40 minutes long. That's how good it is. Absolutely. I very much agree with that. When I was reading just yesterday all the comments about that it was probably the shortest episode in the entire run of Discovery, I'm like, Really? Sure didn't feel like it because there was so much in there. So, yeah, good point. Uh, And, Bill, you wouldn't have come up with that term. You're not that bright. That's Um, true. But anyway, uh, I, too, gave it a thumbs up. So thumbs up. Ted Sullivan, my man, 
you freaking rock, buddy. Uh, this one had so much. It had Spock, Amanda, Sarek, Pike, and Tyler going toe-to-toe. Burnham and Georgiou going toe-to-toe, literally. Section 31, I could go on and on. And a final scene, like I said, just completely blew me away. So I, I think you can tell that that I, I kind of like this one. So let's get right into it. Uh, lots of discussion points to talk about. I want to start with Vulcan. It was good to return to Vulcan. It was raining on Vulcan, which we don't really see ever. Uh, so I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, but let's delve right into Ethan Peck and his performance of Spock. And Thad, let's start with you. Um were you disappointed in any way that we finally got to see Spock uh, in Star Trek Discovery? It's been teased about for six episodes, and yet we finally see him, and he can't really even have a conversation with anybody. Not really, because I know that that's coming. Because mm-hmm. I remember from the trailer for the season, we do, in fact, see Spock speaking normally later. Yeah. So I'm not too concerned about that. I actually thought it was kind of cool when they walk into the, well, it sure looked like the Catrick arc from Star Trek 09. Uh, <laughs> and uh, they, they see uh, and they see Spock. I got major vibes of uh, the future scenes from Voyager's Endgame when Tuvok was suffering from the disease whose name I've forgotten. Mm-hmm. It seemed very like a very similar situation, so I thought that was kind of cool. That's that's pretty cool. I never actually uh, thought about that. I it's escaping me as well. I'm sure that we'll uh, we'll look it up before the end of the uh, end of the discussion we have. I didn't uh, don't take don't don't think that my question means that I didn't appreciate finally seeing Spock. I thought it was great, and I thought it was a an interesting character arc to have him in this condition and doing some reading and rewatching the episode, which I don't usually do. It's interesting that he has a form of dyslexia. And yet we see how successful – I love how the writers have turned in that somebody that can have some kind of a disability or some kind of challenge can still be so successful in, in life. I thought that was really cool. Bill, what about you? I know that you've been waiting for Spock for a long time on Discovery. Uh, what do you think about uh, our first um, glimpse at Ethan Peck's character? I appreciated the way it was introduced. It wasn't just, oh, here's Spock and he's got something to say. It was, here's Spock and he's really not in a good, in a good way right now and he has to find help. You know, it's uh, I can imagine, you know, now that we see him in in episode seven, what a shock that he's got a beard, (laughs) you know, come on. I I can imagine shaving is probably the last thing on his mind. And, uh, you know, like you, Dan, I really appreciated the way that they introduced a form of of dyslexia of sorts. I mean, I've seen people online talking about how, well, that's just not Spock. It's like, well, you know, just because it wasn't introduced before doesn't mean it wasn't possible. You know, I, he's half human. Who knows what he inherited from Amanda? I think that this was a, a really nice addition to the character that shows that, you know, Spock um, it, it can overcome just about anything. And I, I can't wait to see how he overcomes this, quite honestly. That's not Spock. He doesn't smile and stuff <laughs> like that. He's never only smiled, like ever. 10 episodes that he smiles, yeah. Certainly um, not in his very first appearance in Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a nice blue petal on that flower, isn't it? <laughs> oh, a pretty flower. Uh, let's talk about the emotion aspect for a second. And Sarek, I got to tell you, one of my favorite scenes with James Frain so far in this entire run of the show was when he his emotions showed when he was talking about losing both of his children. I thought that was a wonderful 
um, portrayal of Sarek struggling with emotion as a Vulcan and the thought of losing his two kids. Uh, I, I really appreciated that. I also appreciated the Sarek scene uh, when he first showed up in the temple. That was an oblique moment when you heard his voice and both Michael and Amanda spun around and were like, oh, we're grounded now. Um, what'd you think, Bill? Um, I loved the idea of hiding Spock in plain sight. What did you think? Uh, it makes me wonder how long he's been hiding there. And, and was mm-hmm. Amanda's trip to Discovery before that uh, part of the ruse? Um, I, I don't know. I, I have to believe it's not because I don't think she would be intentionally that deceptive. But I, I appreciated that he was right where they hoped he would be all along. Um, and I have to say, going back to James Frain for a second, his portrayal of Sarek in this episode is a great reminder that Vulcans do have emotions. Mm-hmm. They just repress them to the nth degree. So I, I thought it was fantastic. What about you, Thad? You're a James Frain fan, aren't you? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's my second favorite Sarek. Uh <laughs> nobody can top Mark Leonard. Uh, no, but no. yeah, no, I, I thought it was great. Uh, I, when he, when he said those words where he's like, unless of course the ambassador di- has a disagrees or whatever the exact line was that yeah. Chills. I was, yeah. it was unexpected. And then he shows up there and he actually, at that moment, he seemed a very Sarek. He, uh, I could almost feel him channeling Mark Leonard at that point. Yeah. Uh, I think part of the reason that that emotion scene was so great was uh, Amanda. And we're going to talk about that now is, is she's like, yeah, try again, husband. It was kind of like, yeah, uh-uh, you're not going down that road and going to get away with it. I thought that this portrayal of him, I've really, really started to enjoy Amanda as portrayed in Star Trek Discovery. We've never really had a lot to go on with her. She was only in one episode of TOS. Um, uh, we didn't really get to see much of her uh, in Star Trek 2009, even though that was in the other uh, timeline. Um, so it, it's good to see that this character is, is, building as much as it is and she's playing a huge role in this season if not the entire series mother instincts the three of us certainly don't have them so it's interesting to see how she deals with those mother instincts i know bill you're shaking your head but you you really don't unless you want to pretend that you do i I don't (laughs) (laughs) um what did you What did you think about Amanda? We've seen we've seen this roller coaster with Amanda. I thought she looked really, quite honestly, pissed off at Michael when when she was telling her about what happened when they were kids, and she kind of stormed out of the room on Discovery. Now we see what she's actually doing with hiding Spock to protect him. Thad, let's go with you to start talking about Amanda. What did you think about her performance this week? Well. Like you said, uh, we've seen way more of Amanda in Discovery than we ever saw before. Like, I think the most meaningful scene we had ever seen with Amanda before was from Star Trek Four, when she's explaining to Spock Mm -hmm. how he can feel because he's half human. Uh, So she's got way more this uh, in Discovery, I think. And I'm blanking on the actress's name. Uh, What is her name? That's okay. We'll get it. Anyway, I think she's great. Uh, and my, one of my favorite lines was when Michael was talking to her and saying that, you know, they needed to find Spock. And she's like, and she just uh, says, yes, that's logical. And just the sassy way she said that, the way that she know, she's just like, I'm fed up with this Vulcan logic. That was great. 
Yeah, she's she's doing a great job. I believe it's Mia Kirshner is playing the role of Amanda in Star Trek Discovery this year uh, and last year. So, and and I hope we do continue to see her. Bill, what about you? Um, We've had discussions about mother things on this show and uh, just in person. Um, She's doing a great job as Spock's mom. Oh, without a doubt. You know, I think that one of the things that we get to see in this iteration of the character is that she's a lot more strong than necessarily she was in the original series, you know, where she sort of was, was secondary to Sarek. Um, and because Sarek really was the, the focus, I'm glad that she gets the opportunity to assert herself more and to provide more conflict between her and Sarek, which was really good to see this week. Um, I, I find them to be more equal in discovery than they necessarily were painted in TOS. And I think that's really the thing I've appreciated the most. Kind of like the idea that she took advantage, quote unquote, of the fact that she was an ambassador's wife and used that to her advantage. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So let's uh, let's move from Vulcan and let's go uh, into orbit around uh, Kaminar. Um, First question. And and this isn't a question that I had originally thought of posing, but I will because I know other people have been talking about it. Either of you upset that they really just kind of left what happened last week kind of to not discuss at all? It just kind of went, okay, we're in Kaminar. Oh, there's a temporal well. Let's not worry about what happened to the Kelpians last week. Thad, you're nodding your head, so I'm thinking you say yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so this gets back to where I mentioned earlier I had a couple issues with last week because I, I felt like they they obviously they inserted themselves into what's happening on Kaminar. They made a big societal change or kicked off a big societal change on Kaminar between the Bawu and the Kelpians. And then they're just going to let it go. There needs to be like a federation task force of advisors like coming in to help them transition to whatever new society Kaminar is going to be because they can't just leave it as it is. They're probably just going to start killing each other again. Wow, that's cruel. <laughs> I, I, I hear what you're saying. And and it's not to say that we may not ever see what's going on in, uh, on Kaminar the rest of the season or the series, but it is something that people have been talking about. Bill, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think they should have at least said something about it? In passing, Kaminar's having a bad week, huh? At first, there's you know the the red things, and then there's the blue thing, and uh, they just they just can't catch a break. Um, I, I look at it as you know, this is really no different than Kirk interfering with the feeders of all, where they just said, "Yeah, um, we're out of here." So I don't have that big a problem with it. Um, although, yeah, they they should have at least provided a little more context around why Discovery was still there. Right. And you speak about the blue thing. Discovery warped away to get away from that time tsunami. What happened to Kaminar with the time tsunami? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> all their ganglia are back. <laughs> That's it. We're all done. Anyway, um, I-, I loved the scenes on Discovery uh, while they were in orbit around Kaminar. The comm badge flip and then the comm badge flip was very cool. And I got to say, Dan's stupidity is going to pop right out here as because it usually does. I didn't realize right away a couple of weeks ago when uh, Tyler used his comm badge to communicate with the Section 31 ship that it was a communicator because we're so used to seeing the comm badge as a communicator in the future that I didn't even really realize that it was a communicator. So I'm just going to throw that out there right now. Go ahead, Bill. I know you got something to say. So because you've introduced it as your stupidity, do I get to then say, yeah, that was stupid? Just like you did, yes. Okay, I'll, I'm going to reserve that for a later time. But uh, thanks. I'm just going to wait for that tsunami time wave to hit us. And so that I'll never say that again. (laughs) Anyway, I thought it was really cool. Another great way with special effects on how they're doing things on the show. Um, 
I think that the biggest thing about the discovery scenes this week and the shuttlecraft scenes, of course, is that friction that we saw between Pike and Tyler. Thad, uh, there's been a lot of discussion online that it worked really well. We got to see some of the regrets that Pike is having and the fact that he was not able to partake in the war and he's got a lot of resentment towards Tyler because of the Volk stuff. It's good to talk about Volk a little bit finally. So what do you think about those guys today or this week? I enjoyed that. I wasn't. Sh- I definitely feel. I understand Pike feeling that he was not around for the war, and I'm really looking forward to the book about uh, Enterprise at War that's going to tell us what was going on then. But I'm not sure. It seems strange to me that Pike would harbor such resentment against Ash when he wasn't there. Like he only has a intellectual knowledge of what happened with Ash, whereas the Discovery crew, they were there. So I feel like Pike should, if any, be the most accepting of Ash because he doesn't have a personal stake in it. It's a very interesting point, Bill. You agree with that? I, on some level, yeah. I, I think part of it is due to, you know, uh, well, well, what is it Pike said a couple of episodes ago? Starfleet is a promise. And I think he's more taken aback by the fact that you know, this shadow that, that lives within Tyler killed a Starfleet officer. You know, he shouldn't get to walk around free. I, I think Pike is looking at it from a more, you know, black and white scenario than maybe the rest of the Discovery crew has. So I can uh, totally appreciate that. I agree with it on some level. But I, I think that it just, it helps to find Pike's edges a little more. And I think that's part of the reason why the character is so great right now, if that makes sense. <laughs> Sure. Makes perfect sense. Um, One of the things that I found very interesting about this episode, and I'm not sure if it was done on purpose or if it was a mistake, which I don't usually like to think that there were any mistakes made in the writing, is during the temporal distortions on the shuttlecraft, I found it very interesting that Pike was the only one to see that flash forward that he saw where he fired a phaser at Tyler. Now, I know Tyler was working on something at the time, but I, I, I'm, I found it interesting that only Pike actually saw that, heard it, and knew that it was coming. Uh, but then again, who knows? I mean, we've seen episodes of Star Trek where time distortions are on one side of the ship and not on the other. It certainly could be explained that way. But I liked what we saw with this. Whole, this time stuff drives me crazy, and I love it because it's so confusing. There's so much technobabble thrown in there. In engineering with Tilly and Stamets talking about it, I was just like, okay, I'm not even going to try to dissect this because it's just way off the charts. Uh, Bill, let's start with you on the whole time distortion thing. What do you think? Uh, I'm not surprised that Pike was the only one who saw it, because like you said, Ash was was kind of busy at the time. And I can imagine that you know the last thing Pike wanted to do was, was try to overthink that, that particular thing. Um, I, I think it did provide a great element to the episode. I'm kind of glad that Pike was the only one who saw it because if Ash had seen it too, maybe they both would have overthought the situation and added more conflict rather than resolution. Sad. Uh, the probe. I, I'll, I will, I asked this question to Bill after the episode was on this week. Um, it made me think it's 500 years in the future. Did you at any time think that it had any significant or minute tie in to the short Trek Calypso this past year? I do. I'm also wondering if they're doing a bit of a deep cut and tying it into the temporal cold war from enterprise. 
That was going to be my next point because 500 years in the future is where the uh, uh, future guy comes from. So uh, very, see, we, I like that you're on the same page, man. Bill looks like he doesn't know what we're talking about, but I, I joke, I joke. He's always he's always on top of things. Yeah, it's it was really neat how they did that. I gotta admit, with the probe and Bill, I'm sure you're going to start smiling when I say this. It really reminded me of the Matrix, and I know a lot of people are saying that. It also reminded me of Doctor Octopus from Spider Man Two. <laughs> it's a little like, wow, this is kind of interesting. But with the probe, the big question seems to be what happened with Arium on the bridge. Obviously, something happened to her. We don't know what yet. Um, we'll get into thoughts about that later. But what did you think about the probe? Do you think it fit in? Do you think it was thrown in as a way to kind of just, I don't know, speed things up a little bit? No pun intended. Um, Thad, let's start with you. What do you think? Future probe. Okay, well, yeah, I think it is there. It's going to add an element to the story, uh, obviously. And I'm wondering, because I've been trying to think on this, whether is the Red Angel the only force that we see? uh, Or is this probe from some other future force that the Red Angel is possibly at odds with? Or and is this introducing that conflict to the show? I'm really not sure. (laughs) Bill? I'm going to double back um, on some points from earlier. Uh, I don't think the probe is related at all to the short track Calypso. Um, I, I just, I, I think that there's, it doesn't really fit either one of them. But mm-hmm. I do think the probe is very much related to some of the scenes we saw for next week. Um, I don't think that this was necessarily a, a a one and done. I think that this is going to be something that maybe goes through the next handful of episodes. Um, and I, I think that. Um, this was just a way to introduce further conflict, complicating the whole Red Angel matter. I think we're going to learn more about the Red Angel and that it was it was perhaps a warning signal of some sort with regard to this much bigger conflict that's looming on the horizon. Okay. Uh, let's talk about my favorite clandestine secret organization. Because, you know, everyone uh, who listens to this show or Trek Geeks knows that I just love Section 31. Uh, very blunt question for both of you. Thad, we'll start with you. Can Giorgio be trusted right now? Never. <laughs> that was quick, Bill. Nope. <laughs> okay. Uh, why? Bill. Um, because she's Philippa Giorgio? <laughs> <laughs> because she's the Terran Emperor? Um, for a variety of reasons. Well, as usual, she's got her own best interests in mind. You know, she's willing to help Burnham because it helps her. So uh, just, you know, by de facto setting, I I wouldn't trust her anyway, but Burnham had to in that moment simply just to save Spock. I love how uh, Michelle Yeoh is able to perform this character. She has that. You can tell that she's being fake, even though she's trying to be sincere. It just the way that she does it. I'm sure she does it purposefully for the character. You, you, she's trying to be sincere, but yet you just know how fake it is. Uh, one bombshell that we had thrown in this week that I haven't seen a lot of discussion about because it was very subtly said, it was it was just in one quick sentence, is that Leland apparently is responsible for the death of Burnham's parents, according to Georgiou anyway. So Thad, what did you think about that? That was kind of a what did she just say moment? And you got to expect that there's going to be something down the road before the end of the season where that's all going to come to a head. Oh, yeah. They, they're not going to say that without making that pay off later. Uh, 
it makes me wonder what happened because and now this is where I'm confusing what we know for sure from the show with what we know from the books. But I think we established last season that it was a Klingon raid that killed her parents, right? That That is correct. Yep. Because I know it was in the book, but <laughs> it's, it all gets a blur in my head. Uh, and so it's interesting to figure out how that ties into Section 31. What motivation did Section 31 have to allowing the Klingons to raid a Federation colony? I'm going to jump in and, and ask the question because now that I'm thinking about it, I, I immediately said, yeah, it was a Klingon raid. But didn't we find out later in season one that it was the extremist Vulcans who There were who two different incidents. Yeah, there were okay. two different incidents. All right. All right. Just wanted to make sure. All right. Cool. So, yeah. So, Klingon raid. Um, so, yeah. Obviously, uh, Section 31 might have deeper ties to the Klingons than we originally thought, uh, especially possibly before the war before they even showed up again at the battle of the binary stars. So uh, it'll be very interesting to see what happens there. Bill, do you have anything to add to the whole Leland uh, bombshell? Uh, I'm going to, well, I'm going to postulate that maybe it wasn't the Klingons at all. It was just made to look like the Klingons. Boy, deception. I don't even know what to say to that. (laughs) (laughs) It is section Section 31. 31. Never done something like that. Never. No. (laughs) One thing I also noticed very, very, quick side note is I do appreciate how the wardrobe people for discovery have made the section 31 outfits look very similar to what our good friend Sloan wore in deep space nine. I thought they were, I think they're doing a great job with that. Uh, staying with section 31 and Giorgio and what she did with Burnham. I got to give a uh, big kudos out to the choreographers for that battle scene, camera work, battle work. That was pretty cool stuff. We don't get to see a lot of that on discovery, right, Bill? The best part about that was I have to imagine that Ted Sullivan threw that in simply because Michelle Yeoh played such a pivotal part in the episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, that just has to be fun for him to write. But the the whole beginning of that fight was fantastic where Burnham throws a shot at Georgia that she wasn't expecting. And she's like, wait, um, yeah, hold on once more <laughs> with feeling. <laughs> and she has to take a second to to catch her breath, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, but I thought it I thought it really worked well. I like you said, I thought it was choreographed very well, and and it looked great the way it was shot. You got to wonder that how many times do they have to do? Uh, uh, how many takes do you have to do with that? And how many times do you think they actually literally hit each other by mistake? Well. I bet it, Sonequa might have hit Michelle by mistake, but I doubt Michelle did too many mistakes because <laughs> she has a long history of these sort of scenes. That's true. Definitely. Yes, that that is true. Uh, let's talk continuity in regards to Section 31 for a second, because one of the things that I liked and made note of right away was the discussion about needing to get into Spock's mind. And I thought of the Klingon mind sifter. Uh, or the Klingon mind ripper that core that core referred to in TOS. I thought of the Romulan extractor device that was discussed in that Deep Space Nine Latin titled episode that I'm not even going to try to say without it written down. What's the name of that, Dan? Uh, Inter Inum Agus Sealant Legus Legatamar something or whatever. Inter Arma Inum Sealant Legus. Thank you very much. Yeah. I didn't write it down, but I knew that you would take care of it for me because you're smarter than I am. Um, but just those little things. Did you guys think that that was a a an, a purpose purposeful tie-in to continuity and things that we've seen before in Trek? Or do you think it was just put in there anyway, Bill? I think it was just put in there anyway. It seems like every race of aliens has a, a mind-extracting device aside from the Federation. 
It seems like we're the only people who don't play on that field. And maybe that's what makes the Federation different. But uh, I think it was was a useful device. I don't think it was necessarily a tie-in to anything. Thad, do you agree? Yeah, I I think Bill's probably right on that. Um, What it made me think of actually was another DS9 episode, Extreme Measures. Uh, when uh, O'Brien and Bashir go into Sloane's head to find his mm-hmm. information. Very good. Nice tie-in. So it is tie-in. So you're wrong, Bill. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry, no, I'm just kidding. I love these discussions. It's always good stuff. Okay. I've been I've been holding this off as long as I can, guys, so we're going to talk about it now. It's, and I've I've titled it The Moment. Um, I, said, I said it at the beginning of the show, there's been two times that I've jumped out of my chair literally in Discovery. The first was when the Enterprise swooped in. And the second was the end of this episode when Talos four Talos freaking four showed up on Burnham's monitor guys. uh, My wife thought I lost my mind. I'm just going to, I'm just going to throw that out there. I went nuts. I talk about all the time how I was jumping up and down in the living room at my sister's house when the enterprise swooped in. I think I was going more crazy on this because I, we kind of expected at some point that we were going to see the Enterprise in Star Trek Discovery. Didn't know it was going to be so soon. Didn't know it was going to look as good as it did. But I had the feeling that we were going to see it. This, no way did anybody expect that this was going to happen. You cannot tell me that anybody out there who was a fan watching Discovery said, oh, I knew that they were going to go to Talos 4 in this, in this season. No way. I, it was awesome. What I'm just going to pass it off to Thad because I can't talk right now. I'm just I'm just talking about it gets me so excited. Thad, it's, you, you've got the you've got the pulpit, buddy. Okay, so yeah, I I thought it was great that we're going to see Telos Four. Uh, I think it's going to give us some nice backstory as to uh, it's going to make Spock have a better opinion of the Thalosians and explain the menagerie a little better because in the cage they were imprisoned. They didn't really, you know. Anyway. Uh, Unfortunately, that awesome moment was spoiled for me because I saw it on Twitter before it happened. Well, before I watched the episode. That's social media. Yeah, <laughs> but it was still great. Let me get, was, get, let was me it give Dan who spoiled it for you? Uh, <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me give you some advice. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to throw my sports love in here. On Sundays during NFL season and the Patriots are playing a late game, I just don't go on social media at all. Zero, none. Can't get spoiled that way. <laughs> Might want to try that. Bill? <laughs> wow, I don't think hammering our guest is the way to go here, Dan. That's not very nice of you. Oh, never hammer that. He's too good a guy. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I, uh, I absolutely adore the fact that we're going to Talos 4. So let's jump back to last season for a second. The worst kept secret on the planet was that Voke was Tyler and Tyler was Voke. Mm-hmm. Everybody knew it from almost episode three, all the, or, or I should say the first time they introduced Tyler, which I think was maybe episode four, um, all the way through until it was finally revealed. Not a single person on the planet had any idea that Talos 4 was going to factor into this season. And that's what makes this so awesome. You know, it's it's not fan service if they're actually kind of using the universe to propel the story, I think. And I think that what we're going to see next week absolutely propels the story. I don't think this is simple fan service. I was going to talk about how, oh, my God, are we going to see a Telosian, uh, this, that, and the other thing. Of course, we've seen the coming attractions. For those of you um, that have not seen the coming attractions, spoiler alert, three, two, one, we're going to see a Telosian next week, and they look phenomenal. So I guess instead of talking about whether or not we'll see a Telosian, I'm wondering, while Burnham 
and Spock are there with whatever's going on, are we going to see some tiny off to the back part, left side or right side of the screen, a humanoid female walk by that maybe is Vina? I'm just throwing it out there. Love to see it. We all know, of course, that the events of the cage have already taken place. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens while they're there and what happens if Pike finds out that they're there. That's going to be very interesting as well. There's just so much possibility with what they just opened up for us for the remainder of the season. I can't remember the last time I was this jazzed up for what's going to take place in a Star Trek episode going forward. I wish you could get a little more excited about this. I mean, you could tell us how you feel instead of just making us guess. (laughs) Well, gentlemen, we have reached that moment of discovering Trek where we take the time to pause and reflect on those that we've lost in this week's episode of Star Trek Discovery. It's the somber part of our show, but we feel it's the least we can do for those that have paid the ultimate price. We like to call it the red shirt roll call. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. <sighs> anyway, Bill, looks like it's another snoozer in the deaths this week, don't you think, bud? Well, uh, perhaps a little bit. You know, this week we're faced yet again with an episode where we don't have any characters to add to the roll call. And frankly, that's bad for business. <laughs> I mean, we're just trying to work through a podcast here. Uh, seriously, people, writers, what are you doing? You know, this is this is the part where you know we 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 remember these folks fondly. I mean, you got to give us something to go with. Maybe kill a couple of red shirts named Smith and Davidson. Something. Uh, let's let's get it going on. I like that. I mean, maybe we should look at this as a as a byproduct of the outstanding job that Christopher Pike is doing in the captain's chair. But as you've noted, Dan, yet again, there are no additions to the red shirt roll call this week. So. Perhaps we should just be happy about that. I'll drink to that. Let's raise a glass of Synthahol, gentlemen. Uh, After all, it is the Red Shirt Roll Call. This week's episode is brought to you by Fansets, the exclusive sponsor for Discovering Trek. As always, we love to talk about their amazing line of pin products and collectibles because, well, they really are the best in the industry. Whenever you place an order at fansets.com, you can be confident that you're going to be getting the best products, the best prices, and hands down the best customer service around. Lou, John, and the entire Fansets team share the same passion for Star Trek as you do, and it shows with every pin they release. Whether it's a classic episode character like Nomad from TOS's The Changeling, to the most recent release of the Disco Enterprise from Star Trek Discovery... The detail and the quality of these pins truly are second to none. So do yourself a favor, head on over to their site, put a bunch of pins and maybe some pin accessories into your shopping cart. And at checkout, be sure to enter this week's exclusive discount code, SPOCK. That's S-P-O-C-K in all capital letters. Use that code and you're going to get 15% off your entire order at fansets.com. Now, this code is going to be available to use until Sunday, March 10th, 2019 at 11.59 Eastern Standard Time. Absolutely, Bill. And in addition to those two beautiful pins that you mentioned, did you know that Fansets is closing in on almost 200 Star Trek pins available on their website? And that's just Star Trek. They also have genres like DC, Harry Potter, and Alien, just to name a few. And keep your ears open for some great new genres that are going to be announced in the near future. But what I'm most excited about, guys, is later this year, Fansets will be releasing their new reimagined macro fleet 
line of ship pins, starting with the TOS Enterprise NCC-1701. Look for it in the summer of 2019, and of course, we'll let you know if there are any other new releases coming your way. Fansets. We are Star Trek, and as always, we thank our friends at Fansets for being the exclusive sponsor of Discovering Trek. Of all the souls I have encountered in my travels, his was the most human. Star Trek has always been a reflection of our times, and in this segment, we'll take a look at what this episode helps us discover about humanity, or perhaps even what it tells us about ourselves. And so, Thad, let's start with you this week again as our special guest. What did you take from this episode in regards to uh, our sensor analysis? Well, for me, it would have to be uh, Spock having dyslexia, a learning disability, and overcoming it. Because that is the kind of human story that Star Trek has told from the beginning. And by showing that Spock had these difficulties and they needed to do a different way of learning for him to proceed. That's, that's very human. That's how, that's how people actually work. People have, people have disabilities. People learn in different ways. And it shows that Spock was able to cope with that and get past that and then become, well, the Spock that we know and love despite that. Bill? You know, I, I really struggled to find the humanity in this week's episode because for me, it wasn't as upfront as it has been in other episodes. I mean, I, I agree with that. It was nice that they, they brought that out and presented that challenge. I absolutely think that's a fantastic aspect of this episode. But I also think there's something that, that can be said about the scenes between Pike and Tyler setting aside their differences and working together because they have to. But I don't think that's necessarily the message here. Um, I guess that sometimes, you know, we've run into this with other series, especially in the more episodic Star Treks, that it doesn't always have to have a message in order to be a great hour of television that we enjoy. And at the end of this episode, I'm okay with that because it propelled the story and it was fantastic writing. So uh, it's, it's a first for me. It's, it's, I haven't had a, a really a miss on the humanity section, but uh, I suppose there's a first for everything. I got to agree with you uh, on some level with that, Bill. I had a hard time as well, and and so much so that, you know, I kind of borrowed a previous one. You spoke just a couple of weeks ago um, about your – you talked about a wonderful tribute to your mom. And while watching Light and Shadows this week, that tribute popped into my head. You know, Amanda is a human, and she's in a very non-human world. And it doesn't matter how long she's been subjected to Vulcan ideology and logic – that amount of conditioning to repress emotions can never overtake that mother instinct, which we talked about a little while ago. Whether right or wrong, logical or illogical, mothers, all mothers, human, alien, animal, always will do everything in their power to protect their children. I'm not a mother, so it may be hard for me to grasp how powerful that instinct is, but I've seen it in real life, and we certainly saw it in this week's episode with what Amanda did to protect Spock. So to quote Bill from a couple of weeks ago, if you can, call your mom. Thank her for everything she's done, is doing, and will do. Because there will never be another person like her for the rest of your life. Commendation, palm leaf of Axanar Peace Mission, Grand Kite Order of Tactics, Class of Excellence, Prentaris, 
Gentlemen, it's time for awards, Starfleet Commendations, one of the funnest parts of Discovering Trek, in my opinion. I love seeing what you guys pick for the for the big commendations this week. So, Thad, let's start with you. Uh, I'm sure you got a couple. What do you got? All right. Well, uh, number one for me has to be uh, James Frain as Sarek. I thought he was excellent in this episode, as he has been for the whole show, but I, especially in this episode. Uh, I thought he was incredible. I thought it was just perfectly done. Uh, for the second one, like I said at the beginning, the fact that we're dealing with a temporal anomaly, I just love that because it's so Star Trek. It just fa- makes me feel nostalgic for the Star Trek of the 90s, which is what the Star Trek that introduced me to the show, the Star Trek that I grew up with. And it's like, yes, temporal anomaly. Yeah, I actually have uh, something uh, related to the temporal anomaly uh, in my Starfleet combinations, and that is the special effects. Again, we've been talking about this for a few weeks now. Every episode, they outdo themselves from the previous week. The the rift, the the gravity well, whatever you want to call it, was gorgeous, as were the displays that they're using on the ship when they're in engineering with Tilly and Stamets looking at it. And I love how they can like take their hands and spin things around and expand with by, you know, we saw it in Iron Man. I think we've seen it and it's become more and more popular. I love the special effects of the show. I think they're absolutely gorgeous and you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. 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 Again, Anson Mount can't say enough about the guy. He's fatherly with Burnham and he's cracking jokes and then he's tense and, and even a little scary when dealing with possible insubordination from Tyler. We really see what it's like for this guy to be captain. He runs the full gambit of emotion, and he does it without batting an eyelash. And that's a tribute to Anson Mount and his ability to uh, be a fantastic actor. Bill, sign me up right now for that photo op at STLV this summer because we're doing it, man. Can I use your credit card? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Um, and fi- finally... Um, my biggest Starfleet commendation is to Ted Sullivan. And I'm speaking directly to Ted Sullivan right now when I say this. Ted, you and I have chatted from time to time on Twitter, and I can't say this enough, man. You are and always will be such an important piece of Star Trek history. The stories that you've penned in season one and two are some of the best. They are thought-provoking. They're emotional. And they are 100% Star Trek. This episode was fantastic. It had everything I loved in a Star Trek episode. And the ending was a thousand times more than I could ever have expected or predicted. You will always have the gratitude of this Star Trek fan for what you've contributed to this very special universe. Bill? Well, you know, first up, I have to give it to Shazad Latif. Man, I love this guy. I really hope he's part of the Section 31 series because he's fantastic as Ash Tyler and I want more of this character. Even though I predicted a couple of weeks ago he was probably going to die, I don't want that to happen um, because I, I want I want more Tyler. I think he's going to be perfect opposite Giorgio on that series and oh, it's just it's got to happen. And yes, Clem Fandango, I can hear you. Second, Ethan <laughs> Finally, our first glimpse of Spock is a character that we don't necessarily recognize at first and I think that's exciting. Um, he's in true torment and it's a Spock that we don't know as much about as we do 10 years from now or nine years from now when he's on the enterprise with Kirk. And I look forward to this journey with that character. I want to see how he gets from here to there. Um, I think that's pretty exciting. And I think Ethan Peck is just going to continue to, to do an amazing job. And then lastly, Dan, I have to echo your sentiments 
uh, Ted Sullivan. I have consistently loved Ted's work on Discovery, and this episode is no exception. It's a fun hour of Star Trek, and it makes me want more. I, I can't thank Ted enough for his contributions to the show and for defending the wall as far as Gene's Star Trek. Thank you, sir. Um, I hope that Dan and I get to meet up with you someday, and uh, we definitely owe you a drink or two. Long-range scan of planet complete. So, what is next for Star Trek Discovery, gentlemen? Uh, here's where we're going to give our thoughts on next week or maybe later on down in the season. <laughs> we got a lot of possibilities based on that last 30 seconds of this week's episode. So, Thad, uh, what do you have for your first long-range scan, if you have more than one? So, and this is a bit out there, but I think whatever was in the probe and then ended up in Arium is going to turn into Zoya from a, from a Calypso. Was Zoya, that's, right? Zoya was the name very, of the computer? That's very interesting. That is a, that is really out there and, and in a good way. That's that's really pulling things together. Or was it something other than Zoya? Um, I don't no, remember the, the female name, com- the computer. That's okay. Yeah, the AI that, that, that Discovery <laughs> uh, had a thousand years from now, right? Yes. I, don't think, I think it was Zora. Hold on. No, I, I almost said Zial, but that's not it. <laughs> that's <laughs> definitely not, not Zial. <laughs> <laughs> While you're looking that up, uh, Bill, what do you have for a long-range scan, buddy? Well, I, I'm going to extend one of the uh, long-range scans I had back in the early part of the season when we saw the fortune cookie. I, I think that this season we're going to get to meet Section 31's control because they keep referencing control. And I think that person is going to turn out to be Prime Lorca. Yeah, I think Gabriel Lorca is the head of Section 31 in the Prime Universe. And we're probably going to find out about it toward the latter half of the season. But that's, I'm putting my cards on the table. I'm, I'm going to, I'm putting all my money on that. I think that's, I think that's going to happen. Here's what I want to have happen if that is what is going to happen. I want it to be the final scene of season two. They're at Section 31 headquarters. They're like, the boss wants to see you. The door's open, and he's standing there. Fade to black to be continued. Mr. Warfire. That's the type of moment I think that would be. (laughs) Thad, did you get that name, buddy? Yeah, the name is Zora, so I was wrong the first time. Uh, But on your your point there, where you said you want that to be the... But that has to be, that's when Giorgio finds out. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That'd be awesome. Yeah, she doesn't even know. That's a good point. That'd be cool. I like it. I'll go with that. Okay. Well, for me, there were so many possibilities that opened up in this episode. I was really excited to say, hey, we're going to see a Talozi next week, but we already know we're going to see a Talozi next week. They look amazing, by the way. I can't wait to see what happens with them. My prediction, Pike is going to find out what's going on, whether it's through communication or whatnot, and we're going to see him start to have some serious PTSD uh, having a really hard time dealing with the fact that Talos Four has once again been thrust into his life. Um, I mentioned earlier, I think we'll see a subtle reference to Vina. Um, and my biggest long-range scan, I got two more. My biggest one is Pike is going to end up returning to Talos Four in about 10 years. I'm just going to throw that out there. I think it's possible. He'll be wheeling around, but uh, he'll he'll be there. Um, of course, I joke. My, my last long-range scan, I'm not going to take credit for this because it's not mine. A friend of mine at work actually brought this up, but it really started to make me think. With what we saw happen with Arium this week, 
she's the red angel. We'll see what happens. So uh, here we are, guys, uh, getting ready to wrap things up. But before we do that, um, Thad, uh, we're going to get all of your information about uh, where people can find you online. But at the beginning of the show, we talked about a little story that took place in Albany at Northeast TrekCon this past October when um, uh, we introduced you to someone. So, you know, my storytelling isn't always as good as, as it could be. So I'm going to hand it over to Bill because I think he tells stories so much better than I do. So, Bill, take it away because this is a well, great you one. also weren't there, Dan. Oh, I was there. I was definitely there. I was standing right next to Bill. So we were in the dealer's room at Northeast Trek Con because we had a table there and we were raising money for the American Cancer Society with a raffle. Um, and, you know, we had a, a table, you know, uh, amid all kinds of Star Trek luminaries. I mean, you know, there was Max Grodenchik off to one side and Aaron Eisenberg and, and Garrett Wong. And um, we had seen Thad many times over the weekend. And at one point he comes up, he's wearing his Delta Flyer podcast T-shirt, which is a great looking T-shirt, by the way. I don't know why I don't have one yet, but that's okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And so the gentleman who had the table over to our right walks up and says, oh, hey, that's my shuttle. And and Thad goes, hey, that's my podcast. I said, oh, yeah. Hey, Thad, by the way, meet Rick Sternbach, the guy who created the Delta Flyer. And the look on Thad's face was like, uh, uh, (laughs) oh, wow. (laughs) It was just completely bowled over. And it was probably one of the highlights of the whole weekend for me, I have to say. Thad, um... Uh, have you been able to catch up to your, your speech uh, ability since then? <laughs> it took a while, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. I got to say, Rick, what a what a fun guy to talk to. He's got so many stories about all the things that he did in his time with, with Trek and, and all the designs he made. It was great. But yeah, introducing him to Thad was definitely a highlight. So uh, Light and Shadows uh, opened things up for what we're, we're, we're about to see with the second half of Season two's Discovery. Bill, what do we have coming up next week, man? Dan, next week we're going to consider the eighth episode of Discovery's sophomore season titled, If Memory Serves. And mine doesn't serve me very often, so here's hoping that they do a better job than I do. What can we expect on Talos 4? What's next with the Red Angel? Are there going to be more surprises in store for the crew of the Discovery? Time... Will tell. See what I did there? I see what you did there. T- time. time. I made a time time joke. Okay. It's time. Now is not the time to argue about time. We don't have the time. <laughs> we don't have the time. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Until that time, remember that you can subscribe to Discovering Trek by searching for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or by heading over to discoveringtrek.com. Plus, now you can support Discovering Trek and the Trek Geeks Network of Podcasts by subscribing to bonus content via Patreon. Get access to our Carpool Conversations videos and other exclusive content. See the first of our annual supporters pins from Fansets, which Dan is holding in his hot little hands. And check out our exclusive Podfleet t-shirt design, along with so many other perks. Yeah, and speaking of Patreon, Bill, we'd like to take a moment to recognize the following amazing producers of Discovering Trek. We want to thank them for their support. Ken Tripp, Casey Shasky, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Lionel Marshan. Craig Ewing, Sean O'Halloran, Chris Trebuzio, Eric Extreme, Norman Lau, Mike Bovia, Patrick Escudero, Scott Vashon, and Charlie Mulvey. And Charlie, congrats on the new baby girl. If you would like to become a producer of Discovering Trek or even get access to the raw audio for these episodes, head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks. 
Thad, uh, can't thank you enough, man, for being uh, a guest here for the very first time on Discovering Trek. We've had an awesome discussion, lots of fun, lots of good insight. Where can folks find you online, my friend? Well, the best way to find me uh, and where I most active and talk about Star Trek all the time is on Twitter. Uh, I am at Tyrannicus. That's T-Y-R-A-N-I-C-U-S. If you want to listen to me talking about Star Trek some more, you can check out uh, Delta Flyer, which is a Voyager rewatch podcast that I do with my friend Stuart. Uh, The website for that is just uh, DeltaFlyerPod.com. You can find it in any podcast player. And you can follow that on Twitter at DeltaFlyerPod. So you're on Twitter, but based on our discussion from earlier, you will not be on Twitter the day following Discovery's release in the United (laughs) States going forward. Is that correct? Well, no. uh, My issue was I only watched it like an hour after it dropped, and I was still spoiled. (laughs) At least I waited 16 hours before I said something, so I guess that's okay. Uh, Thanks for being on here, man. We really had a great time. Yeah. Well, folks, uh, that's it for us and our discussion on Light and Shadows. Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter to let us know what you thought about the episode and what you think about Discovering Trek as well. We want to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to listen to us talk about this amazing new chapter in the Star Trek universe. And we look forward to sitting down with you next week to talk about Episode 8 and Talos 4. Oh, my God, I'm so excited. (laughs) Until then, (laughs) here are some words of wisdom from Serac of Vulcan. We have differences. May we together become greater than the sum of both of us. And until next week, never stop discovering. Music for Discovering Trek is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original Star Trek. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, is a production of Trek Geeks. Executive producer Dan Davidson. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out the Trek Geeks podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and trekgeeks.com.